0: Us again. All right. John chapter 6 in your Bibles. John chapter 6 in your Bibles. We are working on our expository, uh, our expository uh, series through the gospel of John. And man, we are rolling, rolling, rolling. We are on John chapter 6. We're on John chapter 6. We finished up the book of John chapter 5 uh, just last week. And so we are moving on through this. Today's passage is going to be a very familiar, a very familiar uh, story, but there's still some great applications uh, that we can make with it. So why don't we go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into John chapter six. Dear Lord, we thank you for the saying for your son. I pray that you would convene with us. Your word says, "Where two or three are gathered, that you are right here in the midst, Lord." So so join us, and I pray that you be with Orlando Baptist Temple as we continue to strengthen our cord, Lord, and so that we can be. Um, spiritually indestructible and be able to um, be a light and to be a, a spiritual beacon uh, for this community, God. And we will give you all the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray and we're thankful. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and, and tap into this. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. All right, so Jesus Christ is, he's over here, him and his disciples, they are getting ready to go over to the Sea of Gal- over the Sea of Galilee. Verse number two. All right. It says, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. If you are in the habit of marking your Bibles, and I want you to go ahead and circle verse two, circle that number two or underline whatever it is that you do uh, with your Bible. Notice what it says here. Some language though. It says, I'll read it again. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, Which he did on them that were diseased. All right, so there was a big following, and they saw what he could do with the sick. So they were like, wow, let's see what else Jesus Christ can do. We're going to follow him. All right, and they wanted to see uh, what else he could do. Verse 3 And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat uh, with his disciples. Verse 4 And the Passover, um, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. All right, so we're back here at Passover time he's up in the mountain with the disciples Passover time is coming up verse five when Jesus when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him he saith unto Philip whence shall we buy bread that these may eat all right and so uh there's a big crowd coming and so Christ says to Philip you know what are the people gonna eat where are they gonna go and find the food uh that they need to eat. Um, Jesus asked him this question uh, knowing what he was going to do. Can I remind you that God knows the answers already? Can I remind you that God knows the answers already? Can I remind you uh, back in the Bible where God always asks seemingly rhetorical questions that he already knew the answer to? He said... um, Adam, where art thou? I know where you are. He knows where Adam was, right? But he gave Adam a chance to, to come forward. Adam, where art thou? And he said, um, here my Lord. And he said, you know, where were you? And of course, again, God already knew the answer. He says, I hid. He said, well, why did you hide? He said, I hid because I was naked. Well, who told you that you were naked? So he keeps firing these questions at him to see if he'll continue, you know what I'm saying, to be honest. And we see it happening again where Cain and Abel and and God says, Abel, where's your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? Right? And it gives him a chance to really respond uh, properly. But he asks Philip seemingly this leading question, kind of to put him on the spot. The Bible says here that he asked him these questions uh, that he might prove him. Right? That he might prove him. Um, but he, uh, he asked this question knowing what he was getting ready to do. He wanted to see how Philip was going to respond. Verse 7. Philip answered him, 200, uh, we'll back up to verse 6. And this he said to prove him, right? For, him, so, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. I feel like if I was there and I was walking around with Christ, I would exhaust the mess out of that resource. You know what I'm saying? I would have... I mean, I maybe would have said that, you know, that we only have 200 penny worth. I'd be like, yeah, but you Jesus. So, you know what I'm saying? I don't understand why, why they didn't do that more often. Why they didn't look around and say, wow, we have the Messiah who is capable of all things. We have, we have the God in the flesh right here with us. I would be annoying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'd be annoying. I'd be like, well, Jesus, they're not, they're not... You know, we don't have that much, but you can feed them. And you would think, but as, as often as I think... You know what I'm saying? That I would do things differently than the people in the Bible. I know I probably wouldn't have. I probably wouldn't have because we're humans. And humans have a tendency to think human, humanly. And because of that, they miss a lot of the spiritual overhanging. And so, uh, he's, so so Philip said, man, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every little one may take a little. He was like, man, we have 200 penny worth. I mean, we could... We could probably get them some food, but that's not much, and we'd have to tear little pieces off, and everybody could get a little bit of it, but there wouldn't be a whole lot for for everyone to eat. We just don't have enough. Look at verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath uh, five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So again, they kind of seem to ask the same amount of questions, right? They come and they seem to ask the same amount of questions where they say, well, I want to be, well, I mean, the little boy has the five loaves. He has the, he has the two fishes and I'm not sure how we're going to feed him. I mean, it's not that much. It's, a, it's this, little kid's little, uh, this little kid's little lunch. I mean, I'm not sure what we're going to do with that. And so again, they neglect to ask, to look to Christ and say, Christ, what can you do with what we have? What can you do with what we have? And they end up missing that lesson. He says this. I mean, what are they to this crowd of people? We have, he has five loaves. He has two fishes. But what are they to this people? What, how much work can you get done with that? And which, is, which really wasn't an illogical question. You know what I'm saying? Again, they're looking at what they have. And um, it's like when you're, when you're younger. It's like when you're younger. I remember one day. And I don't say this braggingly, so I hope that you'll show me some grace. But I remember one day I went to the speedway up on the corner of Claircona and Pine Hills Road. And I was there and I just, it, was, it had been a long day. And so I was getting a, um, an energy drink before I came to church. And I was there and these little boys are in front of me, right? They both got two big gulps. And they're sitting there and they're like, okay. And they're counting the change in their hand, right? I mean, straight pennies. You know what I'm saying? And they know that they don't, I mean, they may have enough, but they're not sure. They just tried their best. And I ended up going in there and just being like, hey, put it up. First off, I was impatient because I was trying to hurry up and get here. But secondly, I was like, I'm not going to sit here while you count out 100 pennies. Right. And so I was like, hey, go ahead and put it on mine. I'll take care of it. It's only an 89 cent drink. Right. And so um, that's just kind of the same kind of method that I think that we lack when, we, when it comes to being a Christian. Is we don't we don't look and say, OK, what can God do? With what we have. What can God do? We have 200 penny worth of of food. We have a little boy with five loaves and two fishes. What is it that we can do with this? And they neglect um, to ask that question. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, And Jesus said, 'Make Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place so that the men sat down in a number of about 5,000. So this actually is the, is the feeding of the 5,000, but you got to think about this. There is more here that's not recorded. Yeah. There's more here that... Because it's a multitude, right? And so, of course, because of the, the stature of the day, they are only going to do what they did a lot of times is only count who? The men, right? But there's still going to be children. There's still going to be uh, women there also, right? And so... If you think about just the average household size, yeah, there were 5,000 men there, but there had to be between probably 15,000 and 20,000 people when you add in the, the, the children and the kids, the children and the, and, the, and the women, right? And so there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people here. So he says, okay, I need you to go ahead and, and sit down. Have them all sit down. Verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were seated, that set, uh, set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. So they end up having enough. Uh, we know that Jesus Christ ends up performing a miracle that makes them able to be able to eat, um, eat, eat all the food. Verse 12, have enough for everyone. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And so not only were they able to take this 200 pennyworth, these two loaves and five fishes, and feed thousands of people uh, with it, but there was some left over. There was an excess. He says, man, gather up all the scraps uh, so that you don't have to uh, gather up all the scraps um, so that there's nothing that's wasted, right? Verse 13. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets uh, with the fragments of the five body lobes, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. All right. And so a story that many people know, a story that many people are familiar with. And what's that? Jesus Christ feeding a lot of people with a little bit of stuff. But of course, like all of our lessons on Wednesday nights, there's going to be some takeaways, right? There's going to be some takeaways. So if you're a note-taking person, number one, what are the takeaways that we learn from verses 1 through 14 of chapter 6? Number one, make sure you're a true follower of Christ and not a fan. Make sure you're a true follower of Christ and not a fan. Pastor, why do you say that? Verse 2, and a great multitude followed him. Why? Because he was a great God? No. Did they follow him because um, he was the God in the flesh? No. Did they follow him because he was the Messiah? No. It says they followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Too many people follow Christ because of what he can do for them and not for who he is. May I remind you that we give to God not because I wouldn't... That's one of my biggest issues with prosperity gospel, right? Prosperity gospel is, is the belief system that... If you sow in X amount of dollars, if you give this much to the church, if you if you give this much to the man of God, if you sow this much money, you'll receive fivefold, tenfold. All right. But can I remind you that we don't give to get we give because we've already been given. Right. God's not going to require the Bible says it. God's not going to require of you of nothing that you've been given. Right. He says, if I give you 100 percent, I want you to give me 10 percent of that. Right. And so he said, I want you to give me 10 percent of the things that I give you. Give that back to me, right? And so we we look at these things, and, and we and we get so caught up in the fact that I want to just get, get, get. And so many people in our society understand this. God doesn't say that I'm going to give you a whole bunch of extra stuff. That we know that God does. God blesses abundant, right? He says he says you know I'll show you great and mighty things, but you know it's not, right? But God says the only thing that I promise you is to supply your need. To supply your need but so much of, and I think that's one of the biggest issues with American Christianity is that we are so spoiled we're so split. I get so humbled when I come across things like Fox's Book of Martyrs. I get so humbled when I think about the Christians over in in, in, in Libya and all these different countries where their churches are getting bombed and they're they're getting you know hung still in 2019. People are getting hung for being Christians and we got it good. We got it good. You were able to drive down the street today, you were able to come to church openly, you were able to carry your Bible in your hand as you walked up to the church. You didn't have to worry about ducking authorities. You didn't have to worry about sneaking into the back. You didn't have to worry about neglecting your sleep at night and having to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to meet in some tunnel where all you have is a candle to meet because you're blessed. We have it so easy here, but so many times we get so caught up on God didn't give me this and God didn't give me that and God didn't give me this. And someone said this, if Christ is all you have, then you have all you need. Someone also said that if, you, that if all you had today was what you thanked God for yesterday, what would you have? And to be honest, many of us wouldn't even have the clothes on our backs. To be honest, many of us would be hungry today. To be, to, be, to be honest, many of us would be homeless. Why? Because we get so caught up looking at to what's coming, what's, what we're going to get, and not what we already have. Paul said it best. I have learned in whatsoever state that I am, there was to be content. We got to learn that, and what happens with that? You learn to start being a follower of Christ and not a fan. Why? Because we see these people. I mean, Jesus Christ is going over, to, going across Galilee, and they're running him down on foot. Second time this chapter, uh, church, that this happened, where uh, this this book that so far in these first six verses, where they're trying to walk Jesus Christ down because they saw what he could do and they want to see more. What did Christ say? He said, "Where's your faith?" He says only, he says those that lack unbelief, those are the ones that require a sign. What did he tell that centurion man that we talked about, right? He said, man, everybody else believes, but you don't unless I do something for you. You come to me and it's so funny that it's the one person who didn't believe whose child was sick. And so many times we find ourselves just being fans of Christ and not followers. You know that almost every fan base fades, Every number one hit is going to end up being on the $5 shelf at some local CD shop down the road. Every movie is going to end up being in someone else's archives tucked away on a bookshelf somewhere. My wife and I, we went thrifting last week. And while we were there, I was looking at some of the movies. And I remember when, I remember when they were talking about the Hunger Games movies breaking the box office records. They were selling it for $2.99 in, at Goodwill last week. The whole set. Why? Because everybody's fan base eventually fades. Yes. And so what ends up happening? That's exactly the motive behind why Christ ended up with people that were it was so innumerable that they, they had to just call it the multitude, right? They had to just call it the multitude because it started off with thousands of people and it ended up going out of just 12 people and then he ends up dying on a cross with only one person standing there with him. And that's what happens when you're a fan of Christ, not a follower. Let me tell you what happens when you're a fan of Christ and you're not a follower. When you're a fan, all that's going to happen is the first time you don't get what you want, you're going to walk away from church. When you don't get what you want, you're going to stop reading your Bible, you're going to stop praying, you're going to stop thinking, you're going to stop saying that God is good when you don't get the one thing you want. Why? Because if you learn to be content with Christ as a single entity, everything else is a bonus. Do you realize that all you deserve is hell? That is all you deserve. All you deserve is hell. You don't deserve, a, you don't deserve a lick of anything else. You don't deserve any good thing that's come to you. You don't deserve the clothes on your back. You didn't deserve to eat today. You didn't deserve to have a pillow to lay your head last night. You didn't deserve a hot shower. You didn't deserve anything but an eternal hell because it's your sin and my sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. You don't deserve jack. And we get to the place in our lives where we get so self-centered, we get so selfish, we get so caught up on what we don't have, realizing that all that we have. You realize that Americans today, if you have more than one pair of shoes, you are richer than seventy percent of the world. I watched a video last earlier this week that I couldn't even finish. It was kids across the across in a third world country. They were eating leaves for dinner. They were eating leaves what you have today and it's not meant to make you feel bad that's not why I'm doing it I'm just trying to put life into perspective for you that if we need to learn how to be followers of Christ little Christ Christ ones that's what a Christian is because if you're a fan and not a follower what you're going to find out happening is that the first instance that something does not go your way you're gone that's why between the ages statistically that's why the ages between the ages of 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 uh, what is it before they're eight, by the time, four and 18. By the time that children, people that are 18, in a room of in a room of 100 people, they said that six out of 10 people in a room that are under 18 won't be in church in 10 years. That means if there are 10 teenagers in this room, six out of 10 of y'all are not going to be in church. Six out of 10 of y'all are not going to be reading your Bible. Six out of 10 of y'all are going to be flirting with atheism. Statistically, you know how many of my, you know how many people that were in the youth department with me that are serving God or in church today from my actual youth group? When I went to Salt Lake Baptist Church, our youth group was running 70 kids. We hit 40 a time or two here, but not 70. You know how many of those people from the time when I was in youth group are serving the Lord today? Five. I literally can count on one hand. Five. That's how terrible the turnover rate is. You know why the turnover rate is that? Because you end up becoming at church because you want to come here to hang out with your friends. You want to come out of church because it's something to do. You want to come to church because it's, it's something that just occupies the time of your day. It's the summertime. So you don't, you're don't bored. You've been at home all day. You come, And it's not even just the kids. It's the adults. We do it too. We come for the wrong reasons. And what happens? Whenever something becomes that it's more convenient, you end up doing what fans do and walk away. Can I challenge you to not be a fan of Christ, but to be a follower? To be real, to be genuine, to be seeking to live a victorious Christian life? Because if we're just trying to be fans, it's not going to work. For too many of us, Jesus Christ is a genie in a bottle. For too many of us, Jesus Christ is a holy ATM. For too many of us, Jesus is supposed to be just a yes man. And it's not even about just getting stuff or getting things. So many times we want to see stuff done, but instead of asking God for his permission, we go ahead and do it and say, God, put your stamp, put your stamp of approval on it. We don't even ask him for a for, uh, 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 coming. We're not even forthcoming with what our needs. And by the way, God's not dumb. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God knows your motives, and he knows that you're coming to him to ask him to put a stamp of approval on a decision that you already made without him versus asking him in the first place. God's not dumb. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. God knows. I want to challenge you to be a true follower of Christ and not a fan. Amen? Amen. Number two. Understand that God has provided for your needs, so don't worry. God has provided for your needs, so don't worry. You hearing me? I still think about, I still, that rings in my mind. Remember I told you guys um, that someone wrote on the board that one time? What has God ever done for me? And let me tell you, I've seen God do amazing things. I've seen God, and I, like many of you guys, have been through all kinds of hardship. You've seen loss, you've seen pain, you've seen death. You've seen decay. You've seen moments where you thought you were going to be victorious and end up walking away with nothing. You've seen a lot of those things just like I have. But let me tell you something. Every single one of those instances were a chance for me to learn and for me, a chance for me to grow. And I can look back on just about all of those experiences and say, wow, that's why that happened. Sometime, well, someone said it. He said, God know right now means a better Yes. And listen to me, I don't, I don't say this to make anyone feel bad or anything, but I remember growing up very poverty. Grew up very poverty. But i tell you what, that's taught me some things. It's taught me, number one, to be frugal. It's taught me to be good, have good money management. You know what I'm saying? We have general debts like, you know, car payments and rent and stuff like that. But we budget. And you know why we budget? And why we make sure that everything is set in place for what we need to do because I learned what it's like to be without. It's taught us to live within our means. It's taught us to be responsible you know what I'm saying so if all the reasons why we had to have dinner by candlelight and I'm not talking about romantically if all those times where we had to take showers in the dark if we're talking about the times where my mom fed us and not ate was only because as an adult I can be more functioning to provide a better life for my children in the future and for my wife then I'll take it I'll go through it again why because there was a blessing in that storm there was a blessing in that hardship that was going to shape me. Yeah, it was a few years. Maybe it was five or ten years of, of struggle, but it ended up becoming something where I can now take with me for the rest of my life that even when I don't have much, it's still enough. That's the truth. I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell you what all those hardships taught me in whichever state that I am therewith to be content. Mama used to always say, make do it what you have. And let me tell you what happens. When you find out, when you live by, God will supply your every need. You'll find out that even in that, there's excess. Even in that, there's excess. And I mean, God's going to, there's people in this room where God's going to bless financially and they're going to be able to, to do great things and they're going to be able to prosper, prosper as far as uh, monetary needs go. And that's fantastic. And I'm proud and I'm thankful for you. But everybody, regardless of your societal standard, regardless of your economic class, You have to learn, like Paul said, I've learned to abase and I've learned to to abound. But regardless of whether I have a surplus or whether there's a need, I've learned to be content. Jesus Christ asked Philip a question knowing that he already had the answer. I mean, you can see it where they're scrambling. Well, we only have 200 penny worth of stuff to be able to buy some food, but even then it's not going to be enough. There's a little boy over there with a sack lunch and he's got five loaves and two fishes, but even then it's not going to be that much. And like we were talking about before, in our limitless faith, we're talking about how we need to learn and understand that God's got it. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Here's a news flash for you. You listening? If you get nothing else from this message, I want you to hear this. Whatever your problems are today, whatever your problems are a year from now, five years from now, 50, the day you take your last breath, I want you to know that God already has it covered. God already has it covered. And guess what? Every single person sitting in this room right now, every single person listening to this podcast later, every single person um, who, every single person who is, who is in the airshot of this has to understand this. You've made it through 100% of your trials. If you're sitting here today, you made it. What has God ever done for me? You woke up today. You woke up, you woke up today with, with you woke up today in, in a bed. Hey, what has God ever done for me? Hey, you woke up and you had food today. Hey, what has God done for you? You had a hot shower. Hey, what has God ever done for you? You have a roof over your head. So don't, we get so caught up on woe is And I'm not trying to downplay anyone's problems, but you are way more blessed than you think you are. It's in those moments where I start feeling sorry for myself that God's like, really, Xavier? After all that I've done for you, you're going to start being woe is me? As long, as much as I've done with you, done for you, you're going to start whining. You're going to start complaining. You're going to start murmuring. And I, and I think back to all those times where the children of Egypt were out in the wilderness when, when God had to raise up Moses and he used Joshua and he used Caleb to get them out of the promised land. And right when things didn't go their way, they say, did you bring us out of Egypt to die? Did you forget that you were under taskmasters? Hey, can I remind you that they made you, that they worked you to death and then when they got, when, when it wasn't going the way that they wanted to, they then removed the materials. They said, we want you to go out and get find the materials and then make the buildings in the same amount of time did you forget how hard they were for you did you forget how hard your life was did you forget how how much that struggle was and we get back and God will bring us somewhere in our lives and instead of being thankful and saying God you provided for me before you provide for me again you'll say did you bring me this far to die God gave them manna so what did they do they complained God gave them quail so what did they do they complained they continue. Listen to me, Moses struck the rock and it was his fault because he lost his temper. But listen to me, God's people will do it. Drive you up the wall. Guess who else is God's people? Me? I know I drive God up the wall sometimes. Like really, how many times have we gone through this? And that's what we do. And of course, finally, Moses got mad and he just struck the rock because he was tired of them complaining. You know, God's tired of you complaining. You're blessed. You're blessed. And the truth is, that even though you're in a place where you're struggling to figure out what's next you should not fear because God has already provided for your need he has already provided for your need Miss Jackie we were talking about a private matter earlier about it, but you know what ha- you know what the truth is God's got it It's the truth well, I was praying about the need, about some things that we needed for the church, and bam, somebody walked in the door today to, to provide. You know what I'm saying? God provides. Yes. we got to start being not only optimistic, but being rational to understand that God has done it before. God's track record is immaculate. It's immaculate. So why do we look at him over and over and over again? Because he's flawed. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and jump jump ahead a little bit because I want you guys to understand that right now we just watched God, uh, Jesus Christ feed roughly 15,000 people. But guess what? In less than two chapters, we're going to see an instance where the Bible literally says they panicked because they forgot what God had just done. And that's just like you and me. We we, we get to a place that we've seen God provide over and over and over again and then we have the audacity to get to a place where we start to doubt him again. Sometimes I don't make any sense to myself. I don't. So why shouldn't you fear the dark? Why shouldn't you fear the wall? Why shouldn't you fear the closed door? Why shouldn't you lack, why shouldn't you fear the lack of direction? Why shouldn't you fear the bills? Why shouldn't you lack of what you have for your need? Because God already has provided for it. It's just in time. You'll be shocked at how, even though I'm your pastor, you'll be shocked at how many times I have to remind myself that God does not operate on my timetable. God may not always be early, but he's always on time. And I don't want you to amen if you're not, if you're not taking that to heart. And understanding Him. we have to just really take a time to not let our emotions cloud our judgment and say, okay, let me think rationally about how God has been for me up until this point. Because the moment that I say God has not been good to me, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. You only see a barricade, you only see a line within a chapter while God sees it all. The problems that you stress out about in 20 years have already been met. They have already been provided for. You gotta keep that in mind. And then I have one more thing for you. So number one, make sure you're a true follower of Christ and not a fan. Number two, make sure that you understand that God has already provided for your need. So don't worry. Number three, and lastly, God can do more with your options than you can. God can do more with your options than you can. I don't mind sharing this, but I remember when I first started working um, out of college, and I remember how little my paycheck was. I had a, uh, my car had just died, and so I had a car payment. Actually, that was my first Saturday here. Uh, My first Saturday, I was on my way to Soul winning, and I got into a car accident. My very first Saturday here. Total money's on Altima, right? So I had to to get a new car, and I had car payments, and my my paycheck wasn't that big, and it was over half of my paycheck to pay my car note, right? And so I didn't really have much at all. And I just remember all those times where even though I was in ministry, even though I understand how the Lord went, the Lord worked, I I struggled for a period of time to pay my tithe. I struggled. Why? Because there wasn't much left over. There were days where it was like literally after I paid my bills, if I paid my tithe today, there was going to be zero dollars in my account. Anybody ever been there, where there was going to be nothing there? And I remember, and I remember as I was going through a period, and I was trying to study the scriptures to make sure that I that it wasn't actually you know what I'm saying. You start you start questioning in the in the in the dark what you found out in the light, right? And you start and I, I'm being transparent with you guys here, right? Um, But remember, going through that and really going through a a soul search and and, and saying, man, do I really believe this? And that's what we do, right? We get to a place where we start being tried and we start doubting, right? I call it willful ignorance. We don't want to believe it, right? We want to just do what we want. Anyway, side note. So that started happening. And then I I was talking to one of my buddies and uh, one of my buddies, a mentor of mine, and I was like, man, where do you stand on tithing? And he was like, you know, I believe the volume, of course, we know that tithing predates the law, right? It predates the law. So it's not law, it predates it, right? But on top of that, the shift in the, um, the, shift in the Bible from the Old Testament goes from biblical mandate to giving with a cheerful heart. You know, you see the, how the difference changes, right? He says, hey, I want you to, um, God loves a cheerful giver is what the Bible says. So he was like, make sure that whatever you give, that's cheerful. You know what I'm saying? That you give it with, And so I was like, oh, all right. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't get over. Um, I couldn't get over. And, I, and you get to the place where you try, to, you try to rationalize. Should I do this or should I not? Should I do this or should I not? Right? And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I want to show you two instances that happened that the Lord was like, I need you to trust me. One day, um, first instance happened is number one, um, I went to pay my tithe. And it was one of those weeks where it fell on the week. Car payment week was always the worst for me because I knew that it meant I was going to be broke till the next paycheck. Right? So car payment week happened. I think ended up like one of my tires ended up blowing or something and so I mean I had no money, none, right? And so I said if I pay my tithe, it might actually put me in the negative, right? It was that bad of that week, right? And so I went ahead and said, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I paid my tithe, right? I had like two cents in my account, not exaggerating, right? And so <laughs> the vents, how you're shaking your head is exactly how I felt. you going to shake your head. You don't even want to check your account because you already know what it looks like, right? And so, um, and so that happens. My brother had a little friend that would come over after school, and then his dad would come and pick him up from our house and take him home. Well, one day he called me. He said, hey, I can't come get Jami today. Would you mind bringing him home? And I said, okay, no worries. It's only about 10 minutes up the street. And I ended up doing that and um, bringing him home, and I'm getting ready to pull out, and Jami runs back downstairs, and he's knocking on my window. He's like, hey, hey, hey. I'm like, what's up? And he hands me a big wad of money. And I said, what are you doing? What are you giving me this for? I said, I don't need this. Take it. And he said, no, my dad said for you to have it. He appreciates you. It was double my tithe. I remember the next time, I remember the next time that um, one other time where it happened to me is uh, I went ahead and paid my tithe. And I was like, man, I'm not sure how it's going to work, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. God, I'm still in that phase. I'm trying to trust him. You know what I'm saying? Being transparent, right? And I said, I'm still going to trust him. And I ended up go ahead and pay my tithe. Again, I had like $1.50 in my account. It was <laughs> It was low. Right? I kid you not, church. Listen to me. I paid my tithe that Sunday. Monday I went and checked the mailbox. I opened up my mailbox and there was a letter from my insurance company. Said six months ago I overpaid on one of my payments, they sent me a hundred bucks. And I'm not saying that God is a genie in a bottle, but when God says I provide for your need every time, some of those times and I started getting into my head where I was like, okay, if I pay my tithe, God's just gonna give it back to me. There was one time where I there were some times where I paid my tithe and I didn't get anything. Nothing else came in. But you know what happened? Nothing else came out. Still a blessing, right, Brother Greg? Still a blessing. I didn't go in. It's it's right at that time. You know what I'm talking about. When when Netflix wants to come out of your account when you don't have... Netflix comes out of your account when you have no money, right? You, you, you notice that it doesn't, you never notice Netflix coming out of your account until you don't have any money. And then it's Netflix that you open your account, negative $6. You know what I'm talking about, right? Or Apple Music or whatever, whatever it is. And sometimes that wasn't where an, a bill was due, but he was like, hey, you only got $15 for the week, but it lasted. And I'm just saying perspective is everything perspective is everything and what i want to say and all of that was to say this was not for you to feel bad for me because i'm good i honestly am all right but it was for you to understand that god can do a lot more with what you have than you can you know what happened i'm gonna tell you this last story right one time i didn't hold my tithe back i did i said i can't do it this week i was i had a weak moment i said i can't do it this week brother dominic guess what happened my battery died in my car And guess what it did, Brother Greg? The last money that I had bought that battery, and it wiped me all the way out. And I heard God like, I said, all right, God, I won't do it again. And I have it. You know what I'm saying? But it's, it's one of those things where, where God can do so much more with what you have. He took, those, he took those five loaves. He took those two fishes. He took that 200 penny worth and said, hey, I know it's not that much, but watch what I can do with it. God can bring you with you, And it's not only just money. It's with your time. It's with your energy. It's with your efforts. God's grace is so sufficient. It's crazy. It's so. I mean, even just today, I, I started a new, I started my second and third class of my master's. Of this master's program, and I was, it's ethics and legal counseling. And y'all, I have no idea what's going on. It is so much legal jargon that I'm so like, huh? What is that? What does counter transference mean? You know what I'm saying? So you learn all these crazy words, and I mean, I'm just, I'm taking crazy notes, and I'm over here, and I'm like, man, what's going on with this? And I said, I finished taking notes on the chapter, and it's time for me to take my quiz. I bowed my head and prayed. I said, Lord. God, I'm not sure what's going on. Just give me the grace for what I don't remember. I got an A on that quiz today. Hey, and it's every, it's, I kid you not, like some of people say, I, so I get, that question keeps ringing in my head, like what has God done for me? I'm like, how much time do you have? Right. How much time do you have? Because, I mean, he keeps just in the smallest ways. If you look for God in your day, you'll find him. Yes. You'll find him. God can do a lot more. You haven't done all you can until Jesus shows up. You're not out of options while God is still an option. I don't know who this was for today, but I just wanted to encourage you that you might be the person in here that only has enough money to pay your tithe. You, you might be the person in this room where all you got is two loaves and five, or five loaves and two fishes. You might be the person in this room that only has 200 penny worth. You might be the person that's may, that may uh, extract the money or extract the food, but you're, you're incorporating these things. like Like last week, I saw someone say, where am I going to live? And I found out that two people with two different needs came together to meet each other's blessings. And I'm like, look at the Lord just continually just coming through and just doing stuff. And, 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 I'm, and I'm saying like, God, like, how, how do we get so short-sighted? So before you get mad and strike the rock, I want to challenge you to look at your day first. Look at, how, look at what God is doing. I want you to stop. I want you to get out of your struggle bus that you're on right now, right? And pan out. And try to see the bigger picture like God sees the bigger picture. Because once you get into, once you get the, the the mentality stuck in your heart and in your mind that God does not fail, you won't fail. It's win or learn. No losses. Let's pray.